Acts 3 and verse 19. Acts 3 and verse 19. We're going to continue the series we started last week about revival. And I talked last week about seasons of revival. So Acts 3 and verse 19, we're going to start in the New King James Version. It says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's look at it in the Weymouth translation. It says, Repent therefore and reform your lives, so that the record of your sins may be canceled, and that there may come seasons of revival. Everybody say revival. Everybody say revival. There may come seasons of revival from the Lord. So last week we started this series about uh, revival and we talked about seasons of revival. And I want to kind of uh, do a quick recap of that from last week, but then go on today to what we really want to talk about this morning. And this morning I want to talk about hunger and prayer. Hunger and prayer. Everybody say hunger, hunger. and prayer. And so we're continuing this series about revival. And last week we started with this uh, verse, repent therefore and be converted that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We, we said in the Weymouth, it says, repent and reform your lives that seasons of revival will come from the presence of the Lord. And so we talked about seasons and we talked about there are times and seasons when God wants to have a revival. And it's not only based on what he wants. He has to find someone or some church or some people to partner with him, to co-labor with him, to co-work with him for his mission and his will to happen on the earth. But there is a time and a season for revival. And I talked about last week that this is the best time for revival in the year we're living in. 2020. One of the most chaotic, depressing, anxious years of most of our lives is actually the perfect time for God to move and do something great. It's the perfect season, and I will tell you why, and we shared this last week, but I want to say it again for the people that weren't here to set up what we're going to talk about today. Because there's a pattern when it comes to revival. If you read revival history all throughout uh, the history of the church going all the way back to the book of Acts, you will see that revival often started when it was the time of greatest persecution. It was the time of greatest hardship. It was a time of greatest pressure. It was a time of greatest suffering on the church. A lot of times revivals were sparked out of that because you know what happens when you get persecuted and you get into a hard place and you get into some suffering? Not that God sent it, but God can use it. It forces you to make a decision, which you normally wouldn't choose when everything's going right. Come on now, somebody. It forces you to get serious about your, your God and your life and your future and your call and your church because you realize you don't have options anymore like you used to when everything was going right. So hardship, persecution, suffering is actually a good thing if it makes us sober up enough to get right with God. Now the bottom line is, we shouldn't have to have that happen for us to do that. 
But we're human beings who are stubborn and stiff-necked and do our own thing and go our own way. And a lot of times that has to happen for us to wake up and smell the coffee and make a real decision about getting serious about our faith. So, if you look at the history of revival, almost every great revival came out of the time of greatest persecution and suffering. The whole book of Acts is that. The book of Acts was written at a time that the Roman government, which is a dictatorship, not a democracy, was killing Christians, was throwing Christians in prison, was saying, you can't even say the name of Jesus or you're going to jail. And the greatest revival this world has ever seen in the early church happened through that entire 30 years of the book of Acts. During the greatest pressure, the greatest suffering. Because you know what happened? It forced the church to get really serious about their faith. It forced the church to say, hey, either we believe this or we don't. But I'm choosing to believe this. And so what happens in a year like this, you see two things happening. You have to either make a choice. You see people that have fallen away from the faith this year. The pressure and the suffering makes them run away from God. And and I don't believe that anymore. Because I'm basing my beliefs on my circumstances and my experiences and not the word of God. I don't know if I really believe that anymore. I'm drifting from the faith. And the Bible says that in the last days, people will depart from the faith. Even leaders of the faith will depart because of that pressure. But then it says there's, there's going to be a group of an, another people over here. Anybody, anybody in that category? That that pressure and that hardship and that suffering and persecution is going to make me draw closer to God. And I'm going to be closer to God than I've ever been before. And I'm going to be more serious about my faith than I've ever been before. And I'm going to be more serious about revival in my church than I ever have before. Because now is the time we need it more than ever. And not just we need it as a church. The world needs it. But how many know we said last week God has to revive the church first? Before we ever go out there. He has to get us right first church. Before we can ever change the world. That's what revival is. It is reviving. The once alive believers. The once on fire believers. The once passionate believers. That have gotten sleepy and tired. And worn out and burned out. And are kind of dead in their relationship with God. And God has to send the Holy Spirit. Because people start getting hungry. Come on now somebody. And people start praying. And God has to put the paddles on them. Like we said last week. And wake them up. Bring them back from the dead. And that only can happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he has to revive the church first before anyone else will get revived. He has to heal the church first before the church can heal the world. He has to deliver the church first before the church can deliver the world. He has to do something in us first before we can ever change the world. So it starts with us. But now is the greatest time for revival. And like that passage said in Acts 3.19, that seasons of revival will come from the presence of the Lord. The question is not if revival will happen. The question is, who will God use to see it happen? 
We can't stop the move of God, but we can miss it. And that should make us all very sober-minded in here. Knowing that God's will will happen with us or without us. God will find somebody. I know that to be true. Somebody on the planet will obey him. Somebody on the planet will get hungry. Somebody on the planet will pray. Somebody on the planet will respond and partner with God. It's not that if revival will happen, it's whether he's going to use us or not. It's whether we're going to be a part of it or not because we can't stop what he's going to do, but we can miss it as individuals. We can miss it as a family, and we can miss it as a church. Now, God still loves us. We're still going to heaven, but we can miss the greatest move of God because of our own choices. We can miss what God is doing because of our own will. So revival will happen, but I want us to be a part of it. I want us to be right in the middle of it. There's a reason God sent church on the rock to southern Indiana 35 years ago for such a time as this. There's a reason there's prophecies about our church that say we're going to be a not just city-changing church, a region-changing church. That is a revival happening in the region. God wants to do it through us, but if we don't respond to him, he will choose another people. He will choose another church. But it's time and season for revival around here. Even with a mask on, can God move? Yes, he can. Even though you're six feet apart, can God move? Even though you're still working from home and your kids are getting on your, no, your nerves, can, can God still move? Yes, he can. You might need to pray deliverance over your kids, but God can still move. He can, and he will if we respond to him. He's waiting on us. We're not waiting on him. But there's something that you will see if you study any revival or you do any research on the history of revival, you will see certain words show up all the time when leaders of revival talk about revival. Now, there's a reason we preach on series a lot of times on Sunday mornings because most subjects you cannot preach about the whole thing in one service. So when we preach on a series, there's a reason I want you to be here every week because every message is going to build on the last message. So that's why when you miss weeks, you're really missing the full picture of what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. So last week we talked about seasons of revival, but we also talked about it starts with you and it starts with repentance. Like the, the, the passage said in Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that times of refreshing and revival will come from the presence of the Lord. So it starts with repentance. We have to admit that we have a problem and we need him. That's where revival starts. Repentance starts when you can acknowledge that you need to change. Repentance starts revival when you can be humble enough to say that I need to change, I need to grow, and I want revival in my life. So that's the first step. But there's more steps after repentance. And that's what I want to talk about today because once again, if you read anything about revival or the history of revival or quotes from revival leaders, you see these same words coming up. And I'm going to tell you what those words are. Repentance. 
Any great revival, you will hear people talk about repentance because that's the first step into revival. But there's two other words you will hear every time you hear about revival. It's hunger and prayer. So there's repentance. That's the first step. But then there's a few other steps after that that leads people into a greater revival is hunger and prayer. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Hunger and prayer. So let's turn over to Matthew 5 and verse 6. Miss Jenny, could you turn on some more air for me, please? Thank you. You know I'll get hot preaching about revival up in here. It's the fire of God. Matthew 5 and verse 6. So we're going to continue and talk about hunger and prayer the rest of the service. Matthew 5 and verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or for God's way of doing things, for they shall be filled. Notice, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's not just being right with God. That's wanting the things of God. That's wanting to do the, the things the way he wants you to do them. That's the kingdom of God. Notice, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, here's the promise, will be filled. Will be filled. And I want to talk about hunger first, and then we'll talk about prayer. Hunger is this. Here's the definition of hunger. A strong desire or craving for. A strong desire or craving for. So the next step from repentance is hunger. Hunger means you have a strong desire or craving for something. Now don't answer this out loud, but think about it. Do you have a strong desire for God? I didn't say the benefits of what God will do in your life for God, the person. Well, I like prosperity. I didn't say that. I said for God. Well, I like healing. No, you're talking about the benefits that God brings into your life. No, I'm talking about God, the person that you can have a relationship with, that you can have fellowship with, that you can have friendship with. Do you hunger to be with God? Do you hunger to have a relationship with God? Do you hunger to get into the word of God? Do you hunger to pray? Do you hunger to come to church? Do you hunger to be around right fellowship and life groups in the right fellowship? Hunger. Hunger is a strong desire or craving for something or someone. Do you hunger for God? Because it starts with repentance, but you got to get hungry for God if you want revival. You got to be hungry for God if you want change. You got to be hungry for God if you want to see not just your life change, but your family change, your community change, your region change. If you want revival to happen, you got to get hungry. Come on, are you here this morning? I was thinking about this, and me and some of the guys joke around about this, but it's a common phrase in sports when, let's just say, a football player is going all out, and he, he's running full speed, and he's just, he's just tackling people left and right. The, the commentator will say, this man is hungry. You know, when there's a basketball player, and you see, see him, him diving for loose balls, 
You, you see him going out of bounds. You see him shooting shots. You see him playing defense. And you can see all of his passion and energy. People say, this guy's hungry. Now, what does that mean in the sports world when somebody says they're hungry? It means this person wants it. This person's passionate about it. This person's not going to be denied what they want. They're going to go after it with everything they have and all their energy and all their strength. When an athlete, they say, is hungry, that means they want it more than anything. They're hungry. And that's what hunger means. You want it more than anything. You're willing to pursue it more than anything. You have a strong desire and craving for it. You're going all out for it. Just like you would in a sports game. You especially see this in younger athletes who are trying to make it. They're hungry. Because they want the scholarship. They want the big NBA contract. They want the position on the team. And what happens to a lot of athletes, once they get some success, a lot of times they lose that edge and that hunger, and they don't play like they used to because they got satisfied. Sounds like church people. When you didn't have anything, you were hungry. When you needed salvation, you were hungry. When you were demon-possessed before you got delivered, you were hungry, but now you're delivered, so you're good now. You're satisfied now. When you had sickness in your body and God healed you, you used to be hungry before, but now, now that you feel better, you lost that hunger because you got satisfied. You got the scholarship. You got the contract. You're on the good team now. Everything's going right now. And a lot of times athletes will lose their hunger once they get everything they thought they wanted. But there's a difference. You see, great athletes never lose their hunger. You see people like a Tom Brady. You see people like a Michael Jordan, a LeBron James, people like that, that not only came into the league a certain way, but they've continued to be at the top of what they do for 20 years or 30 years and continue to play the same way. They never lose their hunger. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And that's what makes them great. Because they never lose their hunger. Let it be said for us, no matter how far we go in God, come on now, church people, we never lose our hunger. Doesn't matter if we were saved 40 years ago, let us never lose our hunger. Yeah, you got delivered 25 years ago, but ne- let us never lose our hunger. You got healed 50 years ago. God did something in your life, but let us never lose our hunger. Let us never lose that edge. Let us never use that strong desire and that craving for God to know him better, to, to pursue him, to want to get into our Bibles, to want to pray. I'm preaching better than you're saying anything this morning to want to come to church let us never lose our hunger actually those victories in our past should make us more hungry we should be more hungry and more thankful and more appreciative and more passionate because of everything God has done in our life but we all do it I do it I'm only 33 years old, but I've been in church my whole life, and I can get satisfied. You can lose your hunger. Why? Because you're familiar with it. 
And God has blessed you, and God has delivered you, and God has healed you, and God has prospered you, and you're in a good place now, which is good. That's where God wants you to be. But he doesn't want you to be that way spiritually. He wants you to keep that hunger. He wants you to keep that edge. He wants you to keep that passion, that strong desire, so he can do something in your life because he can't do it without hunger. You can't have personal revival without hunger, but you can't have a church in revival without hunger. Let the victories in your past propel you into more hunger. And you're saying, well, I don't need anything anymore. Great. Use that hunger to help other people. (laughs) You got delivered. Use that hunger to say, I'm so hungry, I want to see them delivered now. You're healed now, but use that hunger to say, well, I want to see other people healed. I want to see the lost and dying world that I work with and go to school with know the God that I know and receive salvation. Let that hunger, that strong desire and craving for, move you. Brother Hagin said this about hunger and It's one of the reasons I'm sharing about hunger and prayer. When he went to Dr. Dufresne and Pastor Nancy's church in 2003, um, there were some ministers that said, well, you know, we've been praying that, um, you know, we'd have revival. We've been praying that God would move, which is not a bad thing. I'm talking about that the second half of what we're talking about today. But he says it's not just prayer. It's hunger first. Now, Brother Hagen, that was the year he passed away in 2003. An elderly man said, and he was a man of prayer, he said, it's not just prayer. It's hunger and prayer. If the people don't want it, you can't force them. If the people aren't expectant, you can't make something happen. People have to be hungry and pray. They have to want it. Like, like it says in Corinthians, to desire and hunger after spiritual gifts. To desire and hunger after the things of God because it's not just prayer, it's hunger in prayer. Let me read some quotes to you about revival. There will be no true hunger for revival until we see how desperately we need it. We will never move into revival as long as we're willing to live without it. Here's another one. Your sense of need is the very ground on which God can work. Real hunger creates a capacity for God. Listen to this. The reason we are not filled is simply because we are not hungering for God. Isn't that what the passage just said? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. But if you don't, you won't. Notice he says the reason we are not filled is simply because we are not hungering. For God. Listen to this from Smith Wigglesworth. He said, The secret of spiritual success is in a hunger that persists. It is in an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and is looking for hungry, thirsty people. Spiritual hunger is when nothing, hear me this morning, spiritual hunger is when nothing satisfies us as much as being near to God. 
I'd rather have a man on my platform who is not spirit-filled but hungry than a person who is spirit-filled and satisfied. Satisfaction is the enemy of hunger. Did you hear just what I just said? But notice all those quotes from all these great men and women of God who led revivals. It comes back to hunger. Not getting satisfied, not getting complacent, not not getting apathetic with your spiritual life, but being hungry and staying hungry because the word says, if you hunger and thirst for him, you will be filled. The reason we are not filled is because we are not hungry for God. And we have to be so hungry that nothing satisfies us but being near to God. Because satisfaction is the enemy of hunger. You still here this morning? So, how do you know you are spiritually healthy? You're hungry. If you're not hungry for God, you're not spiritually healthy. You're not in a good place. You might think you are. You could even read your Bible, come to church, go through the motions. But if in your heart you're really not hungry for God, you are not spiritually healthy. In the same way, physically in your body, when you get sick, you lose your appetite. And especially people that have more serious diseases and issues or or terminal disease, the closer they get to dying, the more they lose their appetite the more that they don't want to eat and they will not eat, the closer they get to death. So in your physical health, if you're not hungry, you're not healthy. But it's the same way spiritually. If you're not hungry, you're not healthy. And and if you don't want to eat anymore, realize there's something wrong on the inside. And it's one thing if you just don't want to eat one day, but if it happens for weeks, after week, after month, after year, you know you're heading to a bad place because physically, when people are about to go on to heaven, they completely stop eating for sometimes days, weeks, months because they're not healthy. So if I'm not hungry, I'm not healthy. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? If I'm not hungry, I'm not healthy. It's like that way in the physical, but it's like that way in the spiritual. If you lose your appetite, you're not healthy. So here's here's the next question. I am not hungry today, then what do I do? It's okay to say that. You know, God would rather you say that to him than you to act a certain way when he knows, because he already knows your thoughts. Yeah, he kind of already knows what you're thinking and feeling and sensing. He already knows you're not hungry. He already knows you're kind of in a place of uh, not wanting revival or maybe not wanting him or, or, or just in a backslidden place or a, a place of apathy. He already knows that. So it wouldn't hurt to tell him that. Because he already knows that. So what I do 
if I'm not hungry for God right now? What if I, what do I do if I don't have an appetite for the things of God for revival? Because I know there's some people in here that are, you're already hungry. You got an appetite. You're ready to go. Hey, let's revival today. But there's other people in here that your heart's right towards God, but you just, you're not hungry right now. You don't have much of an appetite right now. That's okay, but listen to what I'm going to say the rest of the message because there's answers for you. You don't have to stay there. You can get hungry again. You can have an appetite again. I know if you've, you've, been, if you've been saved before, if you met Jesus before, trust me, there was a time in your life you were hungry. And you did have an appetite, and you can regain that again if you listen to what I'm going to share with you the rest of the service. Because you can regain your appetite for God. You can regain your hunger. So I was looking this up, and uh, just, just to go back and forth between the physical and the spiritual, like I said, physically, if you don't eat and you don't have an appetite, you're not well. If you're not hungry, you're not healthy, but spiritually the same way. So I kind of thought I, I knew some ways to regain your appetite or, or to get hungry again. So I looked it up just physically, but these can apply spiritually. They say if you don't have an appetite and you're not hungry, you have to force yourself to start eating. And you have to eat more meals more often. To regain your appetite. Now, now you're not going to feel like it, and, and you're not going to want to do that, but just in the physical, if you lose your appetite and you really know you need to eat because your body's starting to break down, they said you need to start eating all the time. And you got to force yourself to do it. And, and if you got to eat multiple meals throughout the day, you need to do it. But you have to start eating when you don't feel like it you got to start putting some food in your mouth when you don't have much of an appetite. And the more you do that, the more the appetite will come back. The more the hunger will come back. Now, that's in the physical, but in the spiritual, if you say, I'm not hungry today, how do I get my appetite back? you got to start praising God when you don't feel like it. you got to start waking up every day and say, I don't even hunger or, or desire to worship anymore. You know what you got to do? you got to start doing it all the time. And the more you do it, the more you will desire to do it. Come on now, somebody. The more you do it, the more you will hunger to do it. But you got to start doing it when you don't feel like it. Now, that's where everyone stops. With everything on the planet. Because really everything that is good in our life, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, financial, is up here. And we always have to start here with not feeling like doing it to get to here. Everything. So if your feelings are going to stop you, you will stay in that place of no hunger and no appetite for God the rest of your life. So this article I read said, if you need to regain your appetite, start eating more meals more often. Force yourself to do it. Whether you're hungry or not, eat more meals more 
often. How do I regain my spiritual hunger and appetite? Start eating more meals more often. What is meal? The Word of God. Start reading your Bible more meals more often. When you don't feel like it, when you don't fully understand it, and the more you give it yourself to it, the more you will desire it, the more you will hunger for it. And then when you go a day without reading the Bible, you feel hungry. Start giving yourself to prayer and more meals more often to regain your spiritual appetite. And then you go a day without praying and you're like, I'm hungry. I got my appetite back. Start worshiping God in your car instead of listening to Fox News or CNN radio. And put on some Bethel or some Jesus culture or some Hillsong or some Elevation or some Tasha Cobbs or some Fred Hammond. I put on Carlton Pearson yesterday in my truck because you got to eat more meals more often when you don't feel like it. And the more you give yourself to it, the more your desires will follow. Then you'll get hungry. And then when you're not listening to worship, you'll say, I'm getting hungry. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? But most people won't do it and never regain their spiritual hunger because they don't feel like it. Well, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat. I don't have much of an appetite. Yeah, I know. That's because you're sick. And you got to get better and get your hunger back and get your appetite back. But you got to start eating more meals more often. You hear me this morning? And that's how you start getting your hunger back. I didn't say it's going to happen the first time you do it. Could take a day. Could take a couple of days. Could take a couple of weeks. But your hunger will come back. Your appetite will come back. Trust me. If you give yourself to God, it will come back. You will get that hunger and appetite for God back. But you got to eat more meals more often. I love the other thing it said. If you're having trouble being hungry and you have no appetite, you got to get creative. It said you need to add some spice to your food. You need to go to a different restaurant. You need to try something different. If you've lost your appetite. Come on, that will preach too. Maybe you've been reading the same translation for a year after year, after year, after year, and it's just not doing it for you anymore. Okay, get a different translation. Change it up. Put some spice on your food. Get your appetite started back again. Maybe you only did the King James only because you're a King James only version like the Apostle Paul was. (laughs) Joking. Read you a new living translation. Read you a passion translation. Read you a message translation. Read you an English standard translation. Get you an amplified Bible. Change it up. Get creative. Maybe you're not hungry is because you're stuck in a rut. Maybe because you've been eating the same old bland food for 40 years. You're getting tired of it. You need to go change it up. Go get you some spiritual sushi. Go get you some spiritual fajitas. Stop just eating steak and baked potatoes. Change it up, somebody. 
And a lot of times they say that people lose their appetite and they're not hungry. It's because they've been doing the same thing, eating the same way, and they lost their appetite and hunger. So spiritually, we got to get creative sometimes. If you feel like you're not hungry and, and you don't have an appetite, you're stuck, change it up. Maybe you only listen to a certain type of worship music. Change it up. Maybe you only read a, read a certain translation. Change it up. Maybe you only listen to a certain type of podcast or preacher. Change it up. Read a different book. Be led by the Spirit. Pray a different way. Do your devotional time a different way. Talk to somebody different than you normally talk to who's, who's spiritual also in this church. Get creative. If you want to get your hunger back and your appetite, you got to add some spice to your life. Try something new. Eat something different. And they said that's one of the main ways that people get their hunger and appetite back is when they change it up. And trust me, all of us in here, especially if you've been in church or you've been in God a while, a lot of times we have a good routine, but sometimes we get stuck. And it's not exciting anymore, and it's not fun anymore. And it's not because the word is not fun or exciting anymore. It's because we're in that routine. And we need to do something different. Do something new. Change it up so we can get our appetite back. I'll give you an example. You want an example? I just did this last night. So I went to the park, and I walked, and I prayed, and I had my notes. And a lot of times when I study, I put instrumental music on, like really, like the stuff that Steve plays on the keyboard, like a, a nice little pad sound and keys in the background. It's real anointed, just, just real soft and quiet and anointed. And, and it helps me a lot of times when I'm studying or I'm praying or I'm thinking to keep me focused. I, I usually need music a lot of times. So I usually do that. That's my routine. But last night, I just needed to add some spice to my life. I needed to change it up a little bit. And it helped me so much because I was studying and I was having a good time. But all of a sudden, I started thinking about Carlton Pearson and Azusa Street. Now, some of you don't know what that is. Some of you do. Carlton Pearson is a gospel singer. And they used to do these things called Azusa in L.A. Where all these gospel singers would come together and they played all the old time black gospel songs. And I said, you know what? I want to look up Carlton Pearson on my iTunes right now. I don't even know why. I haven't listened to this in years, but I remember it. And I put it on. And I was blasting that thing in my truck. I was dancing. I was bopping my head. Pro probably people were looking at me. I do not care. I was having an old-time Pentecostal black gospel service in my truck. And then after that, I push up, put on Bishop G.E. Patterson's. And, and he was singing all these old-time songs, like songs way before I was even born. But I, but I know them because I grew up, and that's who I am. So I went from my normal, peaceful, quiet piano music to I felt like God said, change it up, get creative, 
Get spicy about it. Come on now, somebody. Put on some Carlton Pearson. Put on some Bishop G.E. Patterson. And you know when I did? It completely changed the rest of my study time. And I felt such joy and expectation from this mo- for this morning just by getting creative and changing it up. Now, I know that was from God because I wasn't thinking about listening to that type of music the rest of my study time. But when I put it on, I got so excited and so joyful the rest of the study time. I was excited to come preach to you this morning. But I had to change it up. Get creative. Sometimes you just got to shake yourself and let loose. Let that bass do the talking. Let that organ do the talking. And get out of your somber hum. Put on some gospel music. Sometimes you forget you're Pentecostal. I had to remind myself for a second. Thank you. Come on, I'm still Pentecostal. Get all this soft music off. I need some real gospel music. But you know what? Just doing a simple thing like that but brought greater hunger and a greater appetite for the things of God just because I changed it up last night. That's what I'm talking about. I love this Matthew 5 and verse 6 in the message. It says this. You're blessed when you worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Isn't that good? You're blessed when you worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you will ever eat. Notice when you taste and see that he is good, nothing else will satisfy. When you have the best meal, all the other meals don't compare anymore. When you really get hunger and your appetite back for God and you taste and see that the Lord is good, you don't want worldly things anymore. Hey, once you've eaten Ruth Chris, McDonald's doesn't do it for you anymore. Come on now, somebody. Now, we all do this. We eat the Ruth Chris, which is the experience with God. And then a few weeks later, we turn back like a dog returns to its vomit. We go back to the McDonald's. For far less things. And you know what happens every time we do it? I don't know if you have the same experience. When I eat the McDonald's, after I eat it, I'm not satisfied. I'm full of guilt. I'm full of shame. I'm disappointed in myself when I know that there's so much better for me because I've experienced it. How many of us do the same thing in our spiritual life? You've experienced God. You've tasted and seen that he's good. He is the Ruth Chris. And then when we get away from him and we start looking to other things, to hunger and and appetite, it goes in the opposite direction. And then we do something we shouldn't to fill that hunger. What do we feel? That shame, that guilt, that condemnation, because we know I'm eating McDonald's and Ruth Chris is available to me. I love it. It says, you're blessed when you work up a good appetite for God because he's the best meal you'll ever eat. Let's talk about prayer for the last little bit of the service. John Wesley said that God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. God does not move in this planet without someone believing him. God does not move unless someone is praying. 
A lot of people will say, well, that's kind of cocky and arrogant of you to say. No, that's the way that God set it up. Now, God could do whatever he wants to do, but he won't because that's not the way he set things up on this earth. You have a will, so does he. And God is always looking for people to partner with for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is looking for people to pray, to pray out the plan, the will, the purpose of God on the earth. Notice John Wesley said, nothing is done but except for believing prayer. James 5 and verse 16, I believe it's in the Passion. It says, confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be instantly healed. For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Tremendous power is available when we have passionate, heartfelt prayers. But notice, God is always looking for someone to pray. So if we want to be in revival, we're going to have to get our hunger back, but we're also going to have to pray. We're going to have to pray the plan of God forward. Prayer moves the plan of God forward like nothing else will. We have to pray for God to move. Listen to me this morning, church. Every great move of God happened because people prayed. Every great revival happened because people prayed. Every great church or ministry you've ever seen is because people are praying. It's not just happening because they're anointed or they're called, or they're good at what they do. No. It's happening because people are praying. Because prayer moves the plan of God forward. Nothing will happen. Nothing will happen unless we pray. Prayer has to be the foundation that we build everything in our lives on. God does nothing except through those believing prayers. You know, I was thinking about this, that um, if you read the history of revival, you see that there's always people that were praying, that started it. A lot of times those people, you never even know their names. You, you don't know their names. You don't know their life. But their prayers are what started some of the greatest moves of God. Uh, there's one particular man called Father Nash. Father Nash prayed a lot during the Great Awakening. I believe he helped uh, Finney, who was a revivalist. Father Nash would go into the town or the city that Finney was going to go to to have revival weeks before he got there and he would rent a room and say, don't disturb me. Don't bring me any food. Don't knock on my door. I'm going to pray until Finney comes and I'm going to pray for revival in this city. I'm going to be pray for revival in this town. And he would spend hours and hours. He would fast. He wouldn't eat for weeks 
sometimes at a time. Just drink water. And he would pray and pray and pray. And they said a lot of times it sounded like he was in pain because he was interceding. He was groaning and travailing like the Bible talks about. Birthing out the plan of God, the will of God, revival. And Finney only had the success he had because there was a Father Nash praying. No one knew who he was or where he was. He was locked away in a room praying because he wanted to see the move of God. But for every great revival, there has been Father Nash's. For every great man and woman of God, there's been Father Nash's. You know, it's interesting if you study revivals all over the world and in the history of revival, you know what's interesting? A lot of times, almost all those stories talk about an old grandma. Shout out to the grandmas in here. A lot of times they talk about there was this older woman who lived on the outside of town. And she prayed for God to move. And then God sent a revivalist who changed the world. They talk about, you know, there was, there was three or four grandmas meeting over in Europe in this one city. And they would get together and pray because they had more time on their hands because they were retired. And they would pray. And then John Wesley would come out of that. And then Charles Spurgeon would come out of that. And then Azusa Street would come out of that. And then Billy Graham would come out of that. And all these things were people that you don't even know were praying and they are responsible for the great moves and revivals of God. Not the people we see. They're the gifted, anointed, called ones that we see. But really, the foundation and the people that started it and sustained it were grandmas and grandpas who were praying. Aunts and uncles who were praying were people like a father, Nash, who dedicated his time to pray. They're really the ones responsible for the revival. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And you know, when we get to heaven and they talk about all the revivals that happened on the earth, you're going to think the leaders of those revivals are going to come to the front. No. It's going to be the people that prayed for those revivals, that God's going to say, it was you who helped this man of God. It was you who helped this woman of God. It was you who started this revival. It was you who started this move of God. Not the people you see on stage. It was the people that prayed. Are you getting something this morning? But every great revival and move of God started with people of prayer. Sometimes unknown, unappreciated sometimes, but they prayed, and that's why God moved. You know, the Bible talks about this, and we talk about this sometimes in our circles. We don't just need prayer people at our church. We need intercessors. Intercessors are people that pray on another's behalf. They stand in the gap for other people. Now, when I say intercessor, you already got a couple names in your mind. Brother Dale's called to be an intercessor. Miss Donna's called to be an intercessor. Miss Lois is called to be an intercessor. Mr. Jim is called to be an intercessor. You know what the truth is? We're all called. 
to be intercessors. Intercessory prayer is a calling that we all have, not just a few. The reason we call certain people intercessors is because they've just given themselves to it. And because they've given themselves to it, God has taken them deeper in prayer and to further places in prayer than the rest of us. And we use it as an excuse to get out of praying ourselves. Well, well, I'm good because I know the intercessors at Church on the Rock, they'll pray for it. Well, the intercessors at Church on the Rock should be everybody. So you pray for it. You're just talking about the people that have been more experienced than you or have given themselves to, to it. But all of us are called, and I'm pleading with you right now as your pastor, I want you to be a hungry church, but I want you to be a prayerful church. And I'm calling you right now as your pastor, I need all of you in here to start being intercessors. Now, the thing about intercessory prayer, it's a prayer for someone else. Now, I realize that's a struggle for a lot of us in here because I'm just trying to get you to pray for you. (laughs) So we can't even talk about somebody else. (laughs) But realize we're all called to it, but you have to choose it. You have to give yourself to it. You have to develop develop it to be an intercessor. You still here? I'm about to close. So it's hunger in prayer. Think about this. Jesus, here's an example of this, because Jesus talked to Peter and he said, Satan desires you, but I prayed for you that your faith would fail not. What was Jesus doing? That was intercessory prayer. He was praying for Peter that the enemy wouldn't take advantage of him, that he would be delivered. It talks about in the early church, they killed one leader of the church. And then after that leader died, the church woke up. The church came alive and said, we can't have the enemy be taking out our leaders, taking out our church, taking out our revival. And it says, and then the church prayed. And when the church prayed, God sent an angel and delivered the other church leader from prison because the church actually started interceding and woke up and said, not on our watch. He's not going to take out any of our leaders. He's not going to take out any of our young people. We're not going to be denied a revival. We're going to, not going to be denied the move of God. We're not going to be denied a region change in church. No, I'm going to intercede for this. I'm going to contend for this with my faith and with my prayers. I'm going to use my authority I have in God, and I'm going to pray these things through, not just for myself, but for others. I know I'm shouting today. Are you, are you receiving this this morning? I know it's challenging, but we need to talk like this if we want the real revival. Comes through hunger, comes through prayer, but we need intercessors. I'm calling you all up to intercessory prayer, but notice you have to give yourself to it. Intercession comes with spiritual resistance. Because the enemy does not want the plan of God to come to pass. He does not want the plan of God to happen in your life or my life. 
He doesn't want the plan of God to happen in this church. That's why we face spiritual resistance. And you have to be prepared for that. Mom and dad's life, they have faced constant spiritual resistance. Why? The call of God. Jessica in her life has faced constant spiritual resistance. Why? The call of God. In my life, I have faced constant spiritual resistance. Why? The call of God on my life. This church has faced constant spiritual resistance. Why? The call of God on our life. So what's the answer? Give up? Throw in the towel? Oh, oh, we're being resisted. Oh, the enemy's coming at us. No, you got to get stronger. You got to stand up. You got to use your authority. You got to take authority over the devil. You got to take authority over your own life. You got to take authority over the plan of the enemy and say, no, it's not going to happen. The plan of God will happen. And you know what? We might be being fought more than other churches. Good. You know why? Because the devil's scared of us. Not scared of the church down the street, no resistance. Scared of us. Because of the call of God, because of the prophecy spoken over this church, because of the future of this church. He's scared. So resistance comes with it, church. I'm just warning you ahead of time. If that's going to make you run and hide and be scared and stop praying because you face resistance, then then don't do it. It will come, but there's good news. You have authority. You have dominion. Fight the good fight of faith. Get into some contending in spiritual warfare, knowing not that you need to get the victory, no, knowing that you have the victory, and that the victory is sure, but you got to contend through your prayers. I know I'm saying some things today. So, intercession is so important to praying out the plan of God. One last verse, and let's get the praise team to come back up here. James 5. guys get some today I love you guys and I'm trying to challenge you the past few weeks because we want real revival and we got to be hungry but we got to pray hungry for God and we need to pray out the plan of God I'm calling all of you up once again to be intercessors for this church, for your family, for each other. God is looking for people to stand in the gap and to pray on the behalf of another, to use their authority in prayer, to use their dominion in prayer, and to fight spiritual resistance. Because the enemy will do everything he can to stop Revival, to stop the plan of God, to stop great callings. But he can't do that if people are standing in their authority.
He can't do that if people are praying. Because prayer moves the plan of God forward. Before I read this verse in James 5 and 16, do you remember earlier this year, I talked about revival and the move of God, and I talked about Elijah, and he prayed that there would be no rain, and then there was rain, and then he outran the chariot, and we talked about revival. What's interesting that this passage about prayer in James 5.16 actually gives the example of Elijah and rain. And I was thinking about this because you see that a lot of times revival in the Bible talks about that there's going to be a great harvest, a great time of harvest. They use these agricultural terms. But I was thinking about this. So, so what happens We need to have people that are praying and prayer gets the ground ready. Prayer gets the soil ready. Now, what's the soil? Our hearts. The world's hearts. Prayer cultivates the ground. And we know that the seed is the Word of God. It's the preaching of the Word of God. But we see that It's one thing to have good ground, which you need it. We need people to pray to have good ground. But we need the seed, which is the Word of God, to go into that soil. But to get the harvest, it has to grow. And for it to grow, it takes rain. And rain in the Bible is always symbolic of revival. So if we want to see the harvest that God has for us, we're going to have to have people praying to get the ground ready for our hearts and for the people that are coming, their hearts, and to get the soil ready, which is our heart. To get it ready, we have to have people getting it ready. And then the Word's going to get preached, the seed. But if we want the harvest that God is talking about for the end-time revival, for that seed to grow, it's going to take rain. And rain is revival. And it also says in the Bible that prayer people need to ask for the rain. They need to pray for the rain. Even in the time of the rain, pray for more rain. Because that's God's revival flowing down on us. But listen to this verse in James 5, 16 in the message. Make this your common practice Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, notice he gives Elijah the example. For instance, human just like us prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did The showers came and everything started growing again. I believe that's what's going to happen here. We're getting hungry and we're going to be praying 
and the ground's going to be ready for the greatest move of God. People's hearts are going to be ready, and the seed of the Word of God is going to go forth, and God's going to send that revival rain because we've been praying. We've been hungry. We've been seeking. And like it says, and everything will start to grow. Everything will start to grow. Revival will start to grow. This church will start to grow. Your life will start to grow. Everything will start to grow until it's fully harvest time. I believe that's going to happen because we're hungry and we're praying. I love you today. I know I said a lot. I challenged you today because I really want real revival in our hearts, in our homes, in our families, in this church, and in this region. Can we stand up for a second? Let's sing this song about revival and just dedicate the rest of this time to God.